Amen. Even if, as you've heard, we have already mentioned it today, turning your books, your Bibles uh, with me to the letter of Paul to the Philippians. The letter called Philippians. It's right after the book of Ephesians. Uh, you'll find it there in the middle of your New Testament. And Paul is writing this letter, and what we know about this letter is it's kind of a thank you letter to the church at, at Philippi for all their support, all their partnership, all the love they've experienced, he's experienced from them. And it's a church that started years ago. A church that started years ago. Um, and if you want to know the story, you can read the book uh, of Acts. Acts chapter 16 is where we see the, the birth of this church, the beginning of this church. And it starts with a lady named Lydia who is selling purple goods, fine linens. There's a, a demonic slave girl who is delivered uh, from, from her demonic uh, captivity to serve Christ. And then there's a Philippian jailer who goes home and tells his family, along with Paul, about Jesus. And so that's the core group of this church. It's a Philippian jailer. It's a, a demonic slave girl. And a lady named Lydia. But as we read this letter, Paul is overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And overwhelmed with love and affection for this people. And, and you hear it as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit in these words. And I could say more, but I think if you just listen to the heart of Paul as we read these verses, you'll hear it. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's go to the Lord together. Father, we, we want to pray like Paul Lord, we want to have the heart of Paul in this letter. And, and Lord, we know that that's a gift only of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I can speak today. I can speak words to ears today. But Lord, only you can pierce hearts. Only your Spirit can bring overwhelming thanksgiving, overwhelming joy, 
Only your spirit can show us the all-surpassing joy that comes in Jesus. Only your spirit can give us a love, a supernatural, otherworldly love for one another. And so this morning, Lord, we ask that you would do it. Lord, we as your people ask that you would do much in our hearts for our joy and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever believed if one thing, if this one thing were to change in my life, everything would be a whole lot is easier? Some of you are like, I thought that this week, this morning. Have you ever thought to yourself, if this one aspect of my life were, were different, I know that I would feel different. I know this could change everything. Have you ever wished that your current life situation was different than the plan that God has given you? Maybe you think to yourself, if I just had a new job, I know I would be way more content in my life. Maybe you've thought to yourself, if, if I were to move to a new house or maybe move to a new city, I would be happier. I know I would. If I just had different roommates or a different spouse or had a spouse, if my finances were better, if my team was doing better, if COVID could finally be over, then, then I know that there would be joy, joy like I'd never felt before. I know some of you all have thought that because I've thought some of these things this week. It's like reading my diary. <laughs> but here's the truth that we see in God's word. A Christian's joy has less to do with the present situation you're in and more to do with the presence of the Spirit in you. That's the truth today. A Christian's joy has less to do with the present situation you're in and more to do with the presence of the Spirit in you. See, when we read the Bible, we see that, that joy is not situational. Joy is spiritual. Joy is about the Holy Spirit that is living in you. It's the gospel reality that I'm in Christ, and Christ has put his spirit in me. And where the spirit is, there is joy. One commentator says it this way, joy lies at the heart of the Christian experience of the gospel. It's the fruit of the spirit in any true Christian life, serving as primary evidence of the spirit's presence. See, 10 years before Paul writes this letter to the church at, at Philippi, he writes another letter to the church at Thessalonica. He's writing this church, this uh, letter to the, called 1 Thessalonians, and he's probably, most scholars think, he's in Corinth. And so while he's in Corinth, ministry seems like it's going good. Churches are being planted. People are hearing the gospel. Life seems more fruitful. Things are going well. In fact, he's in Corinth, which means he's not in prison like he is when he's writing this letter from Rome. So things are going pretty good. He's with God's people. And he writes this, this simple command to the church there at Thessalonica. You've probably all heard this verse. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's saying this is God's desire for you today if you're a Christian. This is God's will for your life, that you would rejoice always, that you would 
pray without ceasing that you don't stop and that you would give thanks in every circumstance, in every situation that you would give thanks even during COVID. In every single situation. But here's what I want us to gather today. That this is exactly why Paul can write these words outside of prison and yet keep living them while he's in prison. Keep living these truths while he's in prison. This is why a prison cell in Rome cannot shut out or rob us of joy because joy is not situational. Joy is spiritual. It's not situation. It's situational. It's spiritual. And that's why the church at Philippi receives this letter from Paul and they receive it filled with the all-surpassing joy that's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because this is gospel reality for Paul. Paul knows Jesus Christ. He knows Jesus Christ is better than life. That to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knows that he is filled with the Spirit. He knows that through Christ, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That, that joy is not situational. It is spiritual. So joy is untouchable in Jesus. So what I want us to grasp this morning is God's people. 2,000 years later, sitting in Bowling Green, Kentucky, what I want us to grasp in this series is that the same gospel that's in Paul's heart is the same gospel that's in our hearts. The same spirit that's living in Paul 2,000 years ago in a Roman prison is the same spirit that's in us in this room. And the same fruit that we see in Paul's life is the same fruit that God desires in us. That Christ's fellowship would be known as a church. That when all the world is falling away, they have this all surpassing joy that comes only in Jesus. Look at what we see that, that the gospel does in Paul's heart. Look, look at how the gospel bears fruit in his life. The, the first thing we see is that the gospel gives us joyful thanksgiving for one another. Paul begins the, with these words, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He says, every time that you come to my mind, immediately I have to stop and I have to say, thank you, Lord, for the church at Philippi. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who know Jesus in Philippi. This isn't a going through the motions, giving thanks before a meal type of prayer. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for the hands that prepared it, the church of Philippi. Lead God, direct us, forgive us where he failed you. Amen. And then we just start gouging out our food, our faces, right? It's not that empty, heartless thanksgiving with the right words, with no feeling. No, it's an overflow of Paul's heart that has experienced grace. It's an overflow from his heart that's been affected by grace so that he can't help but be thankful when he experiences grace and then he shares this grace with other people. He can't, be, he can't help but be overflowing with joy when he shares in God's love for one another. He has to say, naturally, Lord, thank you so much for the people of Philippi. 
That's why he says always in every prayer of mine in verse 4, for you all making my prayer with joy. It's easy to be joyful when I think of you. It's not hard for me to be happy when I think of you all. It's my natural reaction. He says in verse 5, and this is why, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So you see, he's not just thankful that they're united in Christ together since the day they first believed. No, he's also thankful that they're united together in mission for Christ. Mission to see others come and believe this good news of the gospel. This is upgraded joy. And we should believe this as a church. It's one thing to believe in Jesus together. It's another thing to go on mission so that others might believe in Jesus together. This will upgrade our joy as a people. I've experienced that with people in this room. This joy of being on mission for Christ together. But here's one of the most striking things that kept coming up as I've read this passage. Have you noticed that Paul says, you all, or all of you, the, the feeling of joyful thanksgiving is not for one or two of the people that he was close to in Philippi. The, the feeling is not for those people who just never complained or who always complimented his sermons, who were always volunteered and raised their hand to work in the nursery. That, that's not who he's talking about. No, when the Lord brings the church at Philippi to his mind, every single one of them fill his heart with joy. Every single one of them. So let me ask this morning, what, what is the first feeling that comes to your heart when you think of a brother or sister here at Christ Fellowship? Would you say that your first emotion every time anyone comes to your heart and mind, it's joyful thanksgiving? Or, or what other emotions might hit first? Is it, instead of joyful thanksgiving, is it a low-level frustration? Or a long-held bitterness? Or is it apathy towards them? Or maybe a feeling of avoidance towards someone else that's in this faith family? Here at Christ Fellowship, we produce what we call prayer directories multiple times during the year. And they're small booklets with faces of every member of the church Every member of the church. Uh, and we say that this is the second most important book that you own other than your Bible. These are faces of people who have trusted and treasured Jesus Christ. And who have covenanted to be a part of this faith family where we're going to treasure Jesus together. So it might be a, a good exercise this afternoon to, to go home, church family, and get it out and to go page after page and to look at each individual face. And can you genuinely say that you're immediately filled with joyful thanksgiving when you see each brother and sister in Christ? And if you don't feel that first thing, if that's not your natural reaction like the Apostle Paul when the Lord brings the Philippians to his mind, would you pray, Lord, give me joyful thanksgiving every time I see him. Give me joyful thanksgiving every time I think about her. 
This letter should encourage us as a church that we should have joyful thanksgiving for everyone that God has put us together in this faith family with. Because think about this, even though this is a genuine letter of thanksgiving from Paul to this church, this church is far from perfect. No church is perfect. I hope you didn't come here today thinking that's the case. This church is far from perfect. We read this letter and there's disunity, there's divisions. People are putting themselves before other people. There's impure motives about preaching the gospel. He, he even calls out later in chapter 2, he says there's two ladies, and he gives their names. Can you think about that if your names were mentioned in the Bible for being in a disagreement? There are two ladies, they're not getting along, and it's starting to be a problem. And everybody's going to know about it, not just here, but even in Bowling Green 2,000 years ago from now. Man. But the church is... Far from perfect, but listen, it doesn't slow down the joyful thanksgiving of Paul for a second. Not for a second. And why does he not slow it down? Because his thanksgiving is overflowing from the gospel of Jesus Christ. His thanksgiving is not rooted in the Philippians' past or present performance because we already see it's far from perfect. But his thanksgiving is rooted in the past and present and even future performance of Jesus. This thanksgiving is flowing out of what God has done and what God is doing and what God promises to do through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That's why he says, I thank my God when you come to mind. I thank my God in remembrance of me. Because you believed from the first day until now. And not even that. I, he who began a good work in you, will see it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So he's overflowing with thanksgiving because Jesus has saved them. And Jesus is sanctifying them. And Jesus will keep them until the day they see his face. So I hope this isn't breaking news for you this morning, but... Christ fellowship is far from perfect. And I'm not just talking about the preaching or the music or the kids ministry or whatever. I'm talking about the brothers and sisters of this church are far from perfect. We sin. There are moments of frustration. There are moments of envy and apathy. There's moments of jealousy. There's moments of anger and impatience and pride. But that shouldn't slow down our thanksgiving for a second. We can be filled with joyful thanksgiving because Jesus has saved us. And Jesus is sanctifying us and he is sending us. And he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. So we can be overwhelmed with thanksgiving for one another today. But the second thing I want us to see is that the gospel gives us even more than this. It gives us Deep affection for one another. Deep affection for one another. Paul tells the church that it is good and right that I feel this way about you. So if you think about it, he's saying it is right that I feel this way about God's people. And even more so, it's wrong if I don't feel this way. It's right that I love you. It's wrong if I don't have this deep affection for you. 
It's right, he says, because you are all, listen, I love this phrase, you are all partakers with me of grace. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Partakers with me of grace. It's in the same word family in verse 5 that you see partnership in the gospel. Or it's in the same Greek word family as we get fellowship from the word koinonia. And so the basis of their hearts being bound together is God's grace that they're sharing together. The reason their hearts are bound together is because God's grace, they're sharing together. God's grace binds their hearts together in life. It binds their hearts together when Paul's in prison. It binds their hearts together when they're having to defend the gospel and people are attacking them and persecuting them. The glue that keeps the people of God together is the grace of God in Jesus. That's the thing that connects Christ's fellowship. It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ that we're partakers in his grace. It's not that we have the same color of skin. It's not that we have the same economic status or educational background. It's not that we share the same politics or have the same NFL team or watch the same TV shows. The glue that brings us together and keeps us together is the lavish, undeserved grace of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing because grace makes the ground level in gospel community. Grace makes the ground completely level in gospel community. There's not one person in here this morning that deserves grace more than another person. There's not one person in here who deserves grace less than another person. The only reason any of us can say that we are forgiven, that we are children of God, is not because of us, but because God has loved us. And he's lavished his grace on us. I mean, if you were to say Monday afternoon, go to your mailbox tomorrow, and you went to your mailbox and you opened up an invitation to heaven tomorrow, an invitation from the Lord to heaven, it, it would not say, you're invited to heaven to live forever. You're invited to heaven to live forever. P.S. B-Y-O-W. Bring your own works. You're going to need them. You're going to need your works if you're going to get in. You're going to have to prove. You're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to show that you deserve it. No, the invitation would say you're invited to eternal life. And don't you worry about bringing anything. Because it's been paid for by grace. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. All of heaven will be about celebrating not what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. That's an invitation to you this morning if you don't know Jesus. It's not to leave here today trying harder or thinking you need to do more to earn God's love or to earn God's grace. The invitation is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It's by grace you've been saved. 
through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. That's why his heart, that's why Paul's heart is filled with a deep love and affection for all of them. Because none of them deserve grace, not even himself. He sees us. When when Paul sees the church, he sees recipients and participants of undeserved grace. And because grace is the glue that binds us together, love is the overflow of being bound by that grace. You see that? Because grace is what binds us together, love is then the overflow, the fruit of being bound together by grace. That's why it's right for him to say, I feel this way about all of you all. Because we're all equal here in grace. We all share in a grace that we don't deserve. One of my daughters, I I won't tell you which one, loves to to pull me or my wife aside when we're out at a restaurant or maybe at the park. She loves to to lean over and just kind of whisper and say, you know, you can tell me. I won't say anything. Am I your favorite? Anybody, anybody else's kids do that? She, she's trying to say in a you know, discreet way, this is a safe place. I'll keep it to myself. But you can tell me. It's, it's me, right? It's me. It's me. I know it's me. And every time, what do you have to say as a parent? We don't pick. We, we can't choose our... Our hearts love all of you equally. All of our children equally. Well, Paul doesn't say, hey, I've enclosed a ranking of those people in Philippi that I love the most. I've I've enclosed my top 25 favorites in Philippi list. Make sure you post it where everybody can see it. Make sure you try a little hard. Do your best to move up the list before I get there. He doesn't do that at all. And, And why? Because... Just like a parent doesn't have greater affection for one child over another, Jesus doesn't have greater affection for one Christian over another. Isn't that good news if you really believe it this morning? How freeing that is that that Jesus doesn't have less affection for you than anyone else in here this morning. Lance, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know how I've acted. You don't know what I did last night. If you are hidden in Christ, Jesus has no less affection for you than any other believer in Christ. Just like grace, there's nothing you can do to earn more of his love or lose more of his love. In fact, you are as loved right now in Christ as you will ever be for all eternity. It doesn't increase. You're fully loved, fully accepted in Christ forever. Jesus Loves Me is not just a a cute song for the kids in the nursery this morning. It's a song for you to believe this morning. Jesus loves me. That's why it's so moving when Paul says in verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Think about those words. 
God is my witness. That's, a, that's a, a, a big witness you're trying to call to the stand. For God is my witness how I yearn, how I long, how I love you with the same affection of Christ Jesus. Because we're all partakers of grace, I love you just like Jesus loves you. I have the same compassion, the same care as Jesus. In fact, Paul's saying Jesus' heart is pulsing through my heart as I love you. The question is, do we have that same deep love and affection for one another? Can you look at brothers and sisters at Christ's fellowship and say, the way that Jesus has loved me? Full of grace, not because of me, but because he is full of love. The way Jesus loves me is how I love you. You know, I was convicted last night praying over this message. I was convicted as I was thinking about these words. Because it was abundantly clear, if our thanksgiving and joy and love is rooted in the gospel then any lack of thanksgiving and joy or love is a failure to understand or apply that gospel. You see that? Any, any lack of thanksgiving, joy, or love in our midst is a failure in that moment to understand and apply that gospel. So when you look at a brother or sister in Christ and you want to avoid or you, you have apathy towards or you have frustration towards or you don't want anything to do with them or I wouldn't want them near me, there is a disconnect with the good news of Jesus who has accepted you, who has loved you, who has received you. Because if you think about it, one day when we get to heaven, there won't be any shortage of thanksgiving, any shortage of love, any shortage of joy, because we will grasp grace like we, will, like we have never had before. And so when you have those feelings to a lack of love, a lack of thanksgiving, why don't you just stop and say, God, show me where I'm missing how you have loved me. Lord, show me how I'm missing all that you've given me in your son, Jesus. Finally and quickly, we see the gospel gives us continuous prayer for one another. That natural overflow of thanksgiving and love for one another is prayer. It's to pray. There, when we are filled with thanksgiving and we're filled with love for one another, it doesn't lead us to fold our hands and to to get complacent and say, well, I'm satisfied with all that God has done in me and in our church. No, this overflowing sense of thanksgiving and, and love for one another should drive us to our faces where we say, Lord, can you give us more of this? Can you give us more of Jesus? Can you give us more joy and more thanksgiving? Lord, we want more of all this. And that's what Paul does. Look at verse 9. He says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's like Paul says, here, let me open up my prayer journal for you. 
Why don't you come with me to the prayer closet so you can hear how I'm praying for you all. And here's what Paul is praying for. If I could summarize his prayer, it's that the Lord would continually move, he would continue to move powerly, powerfully from the inside out. That the Lord would continue to move powerfully from the inside out. Do you see it? He's saying, Lord, will you do something in our hearts first that we would love more and more and more? Lord, then would you do something in our heads that that we would know and that we would understand and that we would be able to discern what your will is, that we might approve what is excellent. And then, Lord, go from our hearts to our heads to our lives. Lord, would you just do something in our lives that we wouldn't just know your will, but that we would do it. We wouldn't just know what it means to live a holy life. We would live it. We would be pure and blameless, filled with the righteousness of Christ. Until ultimately, he says at the end, that ultimately, the ultimate aim is, Lord, that you would get more glory and more praise through your people. a good time to get the prayer directory out again. You know, again, if you have one of these at home, this isn't a good bookmark for a book you're reading. It's, it's not a babysitter's directory. I know some of y'all might think, this is a good babysitter directory. There's a lot of young people in here. No. Have you ever stopped and said, how should I be praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ? a good question. How how should I be praying for those who are in Christ with me, part of the people of God? Well, I think we look at Paul's prayer, and, and we should pray like Paul. We should pray that God would continue to work powerfully from the inside out of his people. That we would use verses 9 through 11 as a prayer guide for our church that That we would pray things like, Lord, would you fill Adam's heart with more and more love? Lord, would you help Josh? Would you help Eric grow in knowledge? Lord, would you help Katie and Megan know your will? Lord, would you help Kevin be pure and blameless? Lord, would you fill Sarah with the fruit of righteousness? Why not use these verses as your prayer guide this week of how to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? The best way you can pray for one another is not to pray that their dog does good at the vet this week. It's not to pray for Aunt Sally's toe that's been hurting all week. It's not to pray even for their job. But the best prayers are for the Lord to work in them, to powerfully work in their hearts and work from the inside out that he might get more glory. That we would pray, Lord, do more and more in us so that you will do more and more through us. Because when we do, what happens when we pray these prayers? When we do pray these, we, there will be more joy. There will be more thanksgiving. There will be more love for us. And there will be more glory for God who's worthy of all glory and all praise. We have to believe this this morning. It's one thing to hear a sermon about it. But with everything in us, we have to believe that the Lord loves hearts 
like this. He loves hearts like the apostle Paul. Our Father is not frustrated in heaven by our or bothered by our prayers. He doesn't feel interrupted when we bring these prayers. He's ready to hear them. He's ready to answer them. And why? Because God is for your joy. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That God is for your joy. God wants nothing more than to you to, for you to know the all-surpassing joy that comes in Jesus and nothing else. He desires that for you. But the reason we don't believe this, the, the reason we don't live like this is, is because we believe that joy is situational. I mean, we do. We believe that joy is tied to our circumstances. We believe that if COVID, again, would go away, if, if my job would change, if my spouse could be nicer, if my classes got easier, if my team could win for once, if if I just felt better, then I would have joy. That's wrong. That's wrong. It, won't, it wouldn't give you joy for your situation to change. And here's how I know that I believe it this way. Because my prayer is typically and sadly, Lord, would you change something about what's going on in my life? Would you change something about my situation? Would you rearrange my circumstances? Instead of praying, Lord, will you do something in me? Lord, will you give me more and more of Jesus? Lord, would you fill my heart with joyful thanksgiving and deep love for my brothers and sisters at our church? Lord, would you give me a passion for a holy life? To be pure and blameless, to be filled with righteousness so that you will get more glory through my life. That's not my prayer. It's, Lord, change my situation. But we have to remember today, we have to remember in the days ahead that joy is not situational. Joy is spiritual. Joy is God's spirit living in you. Joy is you having Christ. And when you have Christ, you have everything. Whether you're in a prison cell in Rome or you're in an ICU room at the medical center, if I have Christ, I have everything. And he has put his spirit inside of me. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there's joy everlasting. And so what this means is that the Lord doesn't answer your prayer for more joy by changing your situation. He answers that prayer by changing your heart. That's what he's after. He's after your heart. So let's remember this as we walk through this series. Let's, let's pray for this. Let's long for this. Let's say together as a church, Lord, do more and more in our hearts for more joy, for more thanksgiving, more love, more holiness, and more glory to you. Don't you think that's a prayer that the, the Lord would love to hear from every one of us this morning? Don't you think that that's a prayer that the Lord would not just love to hear, but would love to answer for you this morning? Then what are we waiting for, church? 
Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning with one heart together. Asking, Lord. Asking, Lord, that you would fill us with more and more of Jesus. That you would fill our hearts with more and more of Jesus so that we would grasp all that we've been given in Christ. That we would grasp, grasp your love that we would grasp your grace that we don't deserve, but that you lavish on us because you love us. And Lord, as you fill our hearts with Jesus and fill our hearts with his love, Lord, I pray that it would overflow with thanksgiving for everyone in this room. Lord, that it would overflow with a, a deep love and affection for the brothers and sisters in Christ Fellowship Church. And Lord, that it would drive us to our knees, that we would continue to pray and keep praying and keep begging. Lord, would you do more and more in our hearts, not in our situations, but Lord, do more in our hearts that we see more of Jesus, that we're filled with joy and thanksgiving and love. And Lord, that we would live holy lives, not just for our sake, not just for our joy, but that so you get glory from us. Lord, I believe in all my heart that you want to answer that for Christ's fellowship this morning. So, Lord, would you do it by your power? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.